0: Hey, welcome to episode 12 of the Hockey Free for All podcast. I am your host, Steven Styles. And yes, it is already September 20th. Unbelievable how fast these months are going by. So, in the last couple of episodes, we've talked about forwards, we've talked about defensemen, we've talked about a variety of positions, we've talked about some prospects. Let's kick off today with some of the most recent news as we kick off with the discussion of Nathan McKinnon's contract. As the 2022-2023 preseason and regular season are getting closer and closer, it looks like the checklists are indeed being addressed. So, Nathan McKinnon signed a new contract today, and his agent, Pat Brisson, must be an amazing man that does an exceptional job. That was one heck of a contract. The formula and complexity of player contracts must just Just be staggering. Given the amount of McKinnon's new contract, one has to wonder if you had players such as the true game changers of the modern game, like Gretzky, Lemieux, and Messier, what would their contracts be worth today? We're talking people that have won just unbelievable amounts of Stanley Cups in some cases truly could make anybody you put with them better at any given time. Those contracts would just have to be staggering. One would have to wonder if contracts for Gretzky, Lemieux, and Messier would be approaching like $20 million of the way contracts are going. Here's to those hoping and believing that the salary cap is going to increase significantly in the coming years because if they're not 100% correct, wow, these types of contracts are going to just be deadly to a lot of teams. You're talking about contracts that could eat up. 25% of a team's payroll with just one player and the big problem with that is last time I checked, it's a 20 man roster. So you certainly want those kind of players. Not saying anything about whether players deserve the money or not but there's not a lot of room at all for those kind of contracts. Make no mistake, this is not the NBA, the NFL, or Major League Baseball. Has the sport of hockey grown? Absolutely and I truly believe there's not another sport like it on the planet. I truly believe it takes more talent to play hockey than any of those other sports and all of those other sports combined that being said those kinds of contracts and those other leagues maybe there will be a day when those types of contracts or nhl contracts i have a hard time swallowing that that's going to be quite a change in the game and whether it's for the better or the worse who knows remains to be seen thankfully another topic that has finally come to a conclusion which is fantastic news is montreal has named their next and the 31st captain of their team. And rightly so, that player selected was Nick Suzuki. That being said, do I feel that there's a strong opportunity for Brendan Gallagher as well? Yes, I think it's an unusual reason that he wasn't selected. I think the length of his existing contract really was a major preventing factor and what I mean by that is by the time that contract is over with or by the time the Canadians if the Canadians are successfully able to ever move that contract too much time will have passed in Suzuki's career. Suzuki is the perfect captain choice for a team that is both getting younger and younger there's clearly a youth movement. There's clearly a rebuild, restructure, re-enhancement, whatever term somebody wants to use these days because nobody wants to be too specific and to categorize them. But Suzuki is that perfect choice. He will mesh and blend together with the youth of the team. He is a modern player. He'll understand the thoughts and processes of a lot of the new kids coming in. I think he has tremendous veteran leadership in Joel Edmondson and Brendan Gallagher. To help guide him with some of the pre-existing roster, as there is definitely certainly a blend. Not everybody's a brand new young player on the team. There's the the likes of those two themselves, along with Joel Armia, Jonathan Drouin. Not that Jonathan Drouin is excessively old either, at only 27 years of age. But there's a fair mix of that team, which I think is often overlooked. Everybody seems to think that team is full of just 18 and 19 year olds. It's not the case. It's not the case with any team. So I think Suzuki will be a fantastic choice and it's my hope that he gets to serve as captain and finish his career and has a phenomenal career all as a Montreal Canadian. Hopefully he doesn't continue a list of captains that have been moved unexpectedly. Um, It would be fantastic for Montreal to have somebody as captain of his age that could be a 10-year plus captain. That would actually be really nice. And I know this is going to be a touchy subject, A, to talk about, and B, for Mark Suzuki, but here's something I hope will be a part of the change as his captaincy begins with the franchise, is right off the bat from the very first interview, this mentality of, you owe us information, you have to entertain us. No, not really. No, nobody has to do that. And another really annoying factor is it's hard to imagine one of the first comments made about somebody and what somebody thought was a primary thing to say was, again, language-based. I get it. I understand Montreal speaks French and English. I've said many times that Montreal, I think, is truly the definition of a bilingual city and a better example of that than any other city in the world. That being said, players that don't speak French are not to be thought of as alienated. They're not to be thought of as outcasts. A person speaks the language they speak, and nobody has a right to approve whether that language is the proper language an interview or a discussion or anything else should be conducted in. If you don't like it, don't interview. Whether Suzuki, Slavkoski, Joel Armia, and I mentioned players from different countries, whatever language they want to speak, people will accept, period. This whole concept of you have to speak, fill in the blank, whatever that language is, no. No, nobody has to do that. That needs to be something that's gotten over with here immediately as the season starts. That that is just an unacceptable behavior. And I say that with the emphasis on unacceptable because just like they're trying to force somebody to do that people who do that would be incensed if they were forced to do something that either they weren't comfortable with didn't want to do would not make them look as competent as maybe if they spoke in their chosen language so it's nobody's right privilege or anything else to force somebody to speak a certain language if he wants to learn french that is totally up to him okay if he feels that will help him conduct interviews with that's his choice as it is the choice of every other player on the roster. But there is no has to. And to hear that from regular everyday common people or government officials is just ridiculous and quite honestly incompetent. It really is. Again, as the preseason nears, we still have a topic out there that seems to be remaining a topic with steam is the thinness of the Canadians' defense. As I've said again in previous episodes, I have no idea even if that defense turned out to be the sixth Defenseman. We'll we'll talk about these six again. Savard, Schumerman, and Weidman on the right, followed by Joel Edmondson, Mike Matheson, and Jordan Harris on the left. I don't know how anybody views that defense as a worst case scenario than last year's. Again, as we talked about in the last episode, we have six players that want to be there. Six players that want to play well, six players that are fluid skaters, six players that are better in the transition game than last year's group, players that also seem to stick up for each other, which was a problem last year. Again, we mentioned as that example, that Columbus game with Jeff Petrie's behavior. So I don't know how people are viewing this season's defense as this just monumental, dark spot on the roster that has to be fixed. I still say it's a better defense going into this year than it was last year. Just on Injuries, participation, and players standing up for each other alone, just on those, let alone the better transition game that it has and everything else we've talked about. I have another defensive question. Where did it become popular or where did people think they start having the ability to question Mike Matheson about his defensive abilities before anybody really even has a chance to see him play? Now, I'm sure people have watched him play during his career with the Panthers. I'm sure people watched him play during his career with Pittsburgh. I'm sure there will be those people that say, well, you know, he was well cocooned and had other talent around him in those situations, especially in Pittsburgh. I mean, he got to play with Chris Letang, Sidney Crosby. So for any weaknesses in his game, they probably made up for that. That's a pretty bold statement of arrogance, don't you think? How about you give the guy a chance to get on the ice and show what he's actually got? The guy's been in the league for several years. I'm sure his game has been solidified, honed, improved. He seems like a heck of a person. He seems like a real team first kind of guy. Seems like the kind of guy that wants to work with everybody and share everything that's helped him. That in itself is a different mentality than members of that defense had last year. So how about we back off and we actually give him a chance? And that same thing holds true for the rookies too, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But it seems really odd that people are questioning both Mike Matheson and Ken Hughes. And is Is that or was that a really solid decision? Yeah, I'd say it was. And again, he's younger. He's more fluid. He's a better skater. He's a team first player. I don't know how you turn any of that into a negative. But it raises yet another question. From what self-created royal family does thou come from? Or part two of that would be from what pedestal does thou stand on or feel that they are above and beyond the rest of the people? That is a behavioral characteristic that needs to be put in the trash can where it belongs. That is just a level of arrogance that is just unimaginable and quite honestly unacceptable. I mean, that really makes a case for there are actually People that have sold themselves on their own pretentious BS that they somehow think they levitate above other human beings. Let's take a moment and address that pathetic belief. There is no such status on the planet, and I think people need to come off their self made mountain here before they pass judgments that will make them look really bad or really show the lack of knowledge that's possessed. I think people need to take a step back, take a big, deep breath, and let the players play on the ice and see what the preseason has to offer. See what the players can do. See what, again, intangibles that a lot of other people apparently are overlooking. You've got a coaching staff who is Very player oriented, very in tune with players of today, have won championships in the modern game, have played a lot of NHL games, understand the ups and downs, understand chemistry, understands clearly putting players with other players that have similar talents or talents that one doesn't possess, that the other one does, and together will look like amazing one piece fluid components how about we wait for that or is that just too optimistic and oh you know I can't create any controversy or a story why would anybody want to does that ever look good does that ever make anybody look good I guess is the real question so I mentioned we'd get back to the rookie camp in Buffalo and this behavior and severely misguided belief has even permeated the rookie camp in Buffalo where people are judging next generations of Montreal Canadiens players with nothing more than a best guess how is that relevant? I mean, that, that just needs an explanation somewhere by someone. Given everyday people would be exceptionally offended if someone was to pass a judgment on them before even knowing what their abilities are. It is just fascinating to me how people will perpetuate that and do it to somebody else. If you're offended by something, why would you do it to somebody else? Why would you not have clarity, answers, actual knowledge before you pass judgment about another person? And in, in specific cases, Arbarakji. Case Aiden Gooley, Jordan Harris, Matthias Norlander, Jurev Slavkovsky are all being judged by people. It's like, well, you know, they look like they have some deficiency. They look like this and they look like that. Most of these people are playing together for the first time. Some of these people are playing on a North American rink for the first time. Most of these players have never played together before. It's their first time. I'm sorry, is the world full of people the very first time they do something all like Yodas and Masters? I hope nobody would answer yes to that because of course everybody knows they're far from that and not even close. But I'm sure there'd be somebody who would say, oh yeah, that's me in a heartbeat. No, it isn't. This is just the beginning with the rookie camp followed by the main camp and we'll see where it lies at the end of that. We'll see what place people are in at the end of that. We'll see what makes sense of sending somebody maybe back to an international program Maybe do a junior program, maybe do the AHL or ECHL, or they make the NHL roster. But there also seems to be a lot of people that, along with the roster issues, well, there's just too many players. There's no room for anybody. Well, you don't know who's going to be there yet. You don't know who's playing together. And what's bizarre is the fact that flexibility has been left out of the equation in a lot of people's thoughts. Last year, there was games that the Canadians had over half a roster of injuries and players they had to call up from alternative places, such as Laval to make a game day roster. So the problem with having a few extra bodies around would be what? Seriously. So you go into the season with 16 forwards, 7 defensemen, and 3 goaltenders. Yeah, you're right. You can't dress all those people. That is too many people on an NHL roster. Can't do that so they sit in the press box. So you play people a couple of games and you switch them out. This even addresses the parental concern that people have about too many young players. Oh my god, we can't have them. Which is really bizarre that if any of those players that I mentioned specifically, or any others, are better than what you have already, I am at a loss to figure out why you wouldn't start them. Just because of their age, just because of, well that's too many young players, are not valid reasons to not start somebody. If they've earned it, start them. And if a veteran doesn't like that, well then I guess you gotta, play better don't you it's really that simple but the prejudging of these players or the oh my god we've got to have the set 20-man roster the day training camp starts no not really no you need a wide open competition and this is the real opportunity to see what the organization has at every level whether they've been PTO drafted walk-ons acquired by a trade whatever it is see who plays together see what it offers see who has individual skills see who has line combination skills all of that it's a big giant jigsaw puzzle and it's fun to put together as a matter of fact this time of year other than winning the stanley cup and the draft itself to see what kind of really cool pieces you're going to be able to add to the puzzle this time of the year has to be the most fun for any organization because you you get to see everything you have, see how it's coming together, see how it's going to go together, see what other pieces you need to either draft or or acquire, see what pieces fit, see what pieces don't. That's huge excitement. I mean, if that doesn't excite somebody, that's really unfortunate because that's one of the most fun parts of putting a team together. And really, there is no other time of the year. We're just going to have another training camp. This is perfect. There just isn't time. But this is one of the most fun periods of time for any organization to see what you got. Do I need to acquire somebody from somewhere else? I thought I had a backup goaltender. Maybe I don't. Maybe Jake Allen is somebody I go after, especially if you're the Washington Capitals, I can see a trade right there. They got Darcy Kemper. Who's their backup goaltender? Is he good? If Darcy Kemper goes down like he did in Colorado last year during the playoffs, do they have that 1B goaltender that could step right in? Because the 1A goaltender is currently and for an unknown period of time will be injured would that be a good home for Jake Allen and especially if Washington offers Montreal something like a second round pick in 2023 I'd take that offer I know there's a lot of people that are already saying that the goaltending position is thin you know what again they're rebuilding and this even helps all the people that are still out there licking their chops about the Connor Bedard lottery there's a lot of people it's like yeah gotta have Bedard gotta have Bedard I hope you're right now the question is would you want to see Montreal really have that bad of a season? again hopefully if Bedard becomes Montreal property it's because Montreal had luck like similar organizations have in the past and they moved up that far in the draft like five or seven spots like other teams have hopefully that's the way they do it, because I don't think anybody wants to sit through from internally within the organization to externally as a fan of the organization another 32nd place finish that might be a little bit hard of a season I still say personally I think Adam Fantilli is the top choice in the draft coming up in 2023, even if I had the number one pick, that's the person I'd go after. And I know a lot of people are going to go, oh my God, you have no idea what you're talking about. How could you pass on Bedard? I love Connor Bedard. I think the kid is incredibly skilled. His size worries me. His durability concerns me. Not saying anything's going to happen to him, but again, he's 5'9", 175 pounds. And many people, before they get excited about Bedard, hasn't there been a huge line of endless complaints of Montreal's too small. Montreal's too small. We got to get bigger. This is ridiculous. We need size. We need to be able to play on an even level with everybody else. Well, guess what Adam Fantilli is? 6'3", 205 plus, will probably be 212 or 215 by the draft. That sounds like the complete package to me. Everything from a power scorer to a proficient passer to a power forward. Quite honestly, that would be my pick, would be Adam Fantilli. But, hey, we'll see what happens. The draft for next year is a long time away. There's a whole training camp, a whole regular season, another whole playoff and Stanley Cup to go through. We'll see where things finish out. On that note, thanks for tuning in to episode 12. I'm your host, Stephen Stiles. We'll talk again soon.